Welcome to Where the Big Boys Play. Welcome to 20 Years of Nitro, Worldwide Edition. Our post-Nitro bonus show where we dive into the dirt sheets and check out the other channel as we round up the week in wrestling that was November 18th to November 24th, 1996. I am your host, Tim Root, and with me, <laughs> as always, it's my broadcast colleague, Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? I'm doing good. Uh... Last couple of days were nice and sunny and beautiful out, but today we have a nice, damp, beautiful day for podcasting. Well, this has been wonderful for me, this change uh, to a little cooler weather, because my air conditioner is broken. Oh. Uh, they're installing a new one on Wednesday, uh, but yeah, it's been in the like upper 80s the last few days, and uh, despite being beautiful, it's been sort of miserable when I want to go to sleep. Is my only Oh, day. yeah, yeah. We oh. did have a wonderful day at the beach yesterday, though. That was That was nice. Sweet. I didn't even notice that uh that the air conditioning wasn't working. It's nice. It seems pretty cool right now. Well, that's because it's seventy degrees outside right now. I've yeah. got all my windows open. But anyway, this episode is a companion, of course, to episode sixty-one, in which we reviewed the November eleventh, nineteen ninety-six episode of Monday Nitro. So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, you're probably going to want to go through because we're going to talk about everything but Nitro. Uh, this is leading up to our next episode, which is going to be on World War Three, nineteen ninety-six. But before we move on to all of that, all the news in wrestling this week, I do, of course, want to remind you that you can follow us on Twitter at 20 Years of Nitro. You can like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash 20 Years of Nitro. And, of course, you can email the show at 20 Years of Nitro at gmail.com. Now, the first thing that we like to do each week on our Worldwide Edition is to change the channel over to USA. It's time for our Raw Recap. Over on Raw, it is the night after Survivor Series 1996. We, of course, talked about that in our last Worldwide Edition. Uh, that had Psycho Sid getting the title from Sean. It had the Bret and uh, Austin match that was so good. Uh, so on Raw, Steve Austin defeated Mankind via disqualification. Farouk defeated Savio Vega as a returning Ahmed Johnson watched from the stands. Uh, so he's, you know, he's been out with that kidney issue, but he's he's making his way back. They're starting to feature him. Gotcha. Furnace and Lafon defeated Leaf Cassidy and Bob Holly. Um, I forget who does Leaf Cassidy normally. Oh, Marty Jannetty, the new Rockers. Jannetty's uh, injured, so the most random tag team of Bob Holly and uh, Leaf Cassidy tagged together against Furnace and Lafon. They just found, like, some other white guy with long, a long mullet. Yes, exactly. And they're like, yeah, it's close enough. Like, what a contrast in styles, though, between Bob Hawley and Marty Jannetty. Both guys, I think, are, are good workers, but in, like, such completely different ways. Right. Uh, and then Sid gave a promo at the end, uh, and they confirmed that the next pay-per-view, uh, it's in your house, and I don't remember what um, the, the subtitle is, but it's going to be Sid versus Bret Hart. Well, it um, is actually, it was initially called In Your House, It's Time. Oh, because it was supposed to be a Vader-centric thing. Yes. But then he's not featured. Is he injured, or is he just com- out of the picture completely? Um, I, fe- I kind of feel like after his feud with Sean, they were like, yeah, we're not doing this Vader thing. Anymore. Right, after but, the... That was like SummerSlam 96, right? Yeah. I I, I want to say that he was injured. I can certainly look it up while you're going over whatever's next. Sure. Well, in our ratings roundup, Raw came in with a 2.4... Uh, which is pretty bad considering that it was A, live, and B, it was the night following a pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. So that's like that's standard for Raw, but to come in on this particular show with a standard rating is right. especially disappointing. Meanwhile, Nitro had a 3.2. Uh, that was a 2.8 in the first hour when they were going head-to-head with Raw, and in the second unopposed hour they had a 3.5. So that's down a little bit from Nitro's best weeks as well, um, especially for a go-home show for a pay-per-view you'd you'd think it would be a little bit higher. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, and to break it down a little bit more, give some more specifics, Nitro peaked at 3.6 uh, two different times during the show, once for Luger's match and the other for, uh, believe it or not, <laughs> the Chris Jericho-Johnny Grunge match that we hated. That got like a higher... That got a 3.6. The highest two segments were Luger's match and the Jericho Grunge match. Was there was there something about like the time that was playing? Was that just like a, a time in which people switched over? That's a good point. I, I'm not sure. Was That might have been about halfway through the show. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, you know, to peek behind the curtain for everyone, that last episode we recorded, uh, we had to record it twice. So it's been quite a long time since we actually watched that Nitro. So <laughs> the details are fuzzy for me. Right. Uh, oh, and then I do have in the notes here, this is that, that Meltzer noted 2.4, which is that raw rating. It literally is the average for 1996. So when I was saying earlier, this is the average rating for raw, it it quite exactly, it quite oh. literally is the average rating for raw. So with raw and the ratings out of the way, that brings us to a little segment that we call Observe This. Observe This, brother! what we call a rag sheet. Well, in our top observe this story, the biggest thing probably going on in wrestling other than maybe Survivor Series, uh, certainly one of the most historical things that happened this week, just a few weeks after the controversial crucifixion angle, ECW had another one of its more infamous incidents this week, as it was Saturday, November 23rd, 1996, that a young man by the name of Eric Kulas approached Paul Heyman at a Revere, Massachusetts ECW live event, saying that he was a wrestler trained by Killer Kowalski who wanted to be booked on the show. Vouching for him was his father and a uh, mini wrestler who was known to Paul Heyman. Paul Heyman knew the mini, and somehow Eric Kulas knew the mini. Uh, So when the mini vouched to Heyman, he thought, okay, this guy is, you know, he's a trained wrestler. They said he was like 22 in actuality. I believe he's 17. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, so they told Paul Heyman that he was a wrestler. He wanted to be on the show. His plan was that he was going to work kind of a comedy match with this mini that he knew. Mm-hmm. And his gimmick was Mass Transit, which is sort of a Ralph Cramden-esque bus driver. Um, so I, I always wondered, like, why is it called the Mass Transit incident? Well, yeah, he's supposed to be a bus driver. I actually think the idea of a bus driver wrestler named Mass Transit is pretty funny, especially a big fat guy like Eric Kulas is. Um, Wait, what was the reference you're making as far as a bus driver? That's just his name's Mass Transit. But you said like a uh, so. Oh, Ralph Cramden. That's the um, that's the guy from the Honeymooners. Bang Zoom right to the moon. Oh, okay. <laughs> he was a bus driver. He wore like the hat and the suspenders and sure. stuff. Okay. I don't know that necessarily he was going for Ralph Cramden. That's just the most famous bus driver I can mm-hmm. think of. Um. Okay. So just in a nutshell, from like thirty seconds of looking up. Yeah. So the idea was that that Vader was initially going to be the Survivor Series opponent for Shawn Michaels. Right. But they switched it to Sid uh, due to the Sid being more popular and them just not being they weren't very happy with Vader. And Shawn shitting all over Vader and Right. Yeah. So initially it was supposed to be those two and then the rematch would have happened the next month at its time. Gotcha. And then I think it's just because they had so many promotional like posters and all that already done, they yeah. were like it's times vague enough where we'll just run with it anyway. Sure. So that in a nut, I'm sure other people have like more detailed as far as what actually happened, but in a nutshell, that's what I, yeah, saw. we're not a WWF podcast. So right. That's, exactly. That's so fuck you. So Kulas's plan, master Ranz's plan is to work a match with a mini, like I said, uh, but Heyman was dealing with a bigger problem for the show. And that was Axel rotten. No showing the event. Uh, Axel rotten was supposed to be in a match where he would team with Devon Dudley against the um, gangsters. Okay. So he, Heyman's like, you know what? I've got a trained wrestler here. I do have a spot on the card. I don't want this match that you want to do with a mini. That's I'm not interested in that. Mm-hmm. But if you want, you can be in this tag match with Devon against the gangsters. Mass Transit says, great. Absolutely. I'll do that. Before the match, Kulas told New Jack that he had never bladed before, but he wanted to get color in the match, and he asked New Jack to cut him. And if you think New Jack has any qualms about cutting someone... <laughs> You'd be mistaken. He was asking the right guy, to be fair. (laughs) Uh, Now, it was supposed to be a complete squash, of course, with the gangsters beating the shit out of uh, Kulas and Devon, so they did. They beat him with crutches, toasters, and other plunder before New Jack bladed Kulas with a surgical scalpel. Uh, Either (laughs) because... 
either because of New Jack's error or because Kulas moved too much or both. The video evidence suggests that mostly it's on New Jack, mm-hmm. this particular aspect. The cutting was mutually agreed upon, but New Jack just slashed the shit out of him, cut a huge gash across his head, way too big of a wound, and Kulas starts bleeding just insanely. Uh, I, I think it's also fair that, like, also they're using a surgical scalpel. Right. Which I think is uh, dangerous to yeah. just... <laughs> yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, uh, it severed two of his arteries, so he begins pouring blood. We're talking um, that Eddie Guerrero JBL match where Eddie lost like an insane amount of his blood and almost died. Yeah, or it's, it's or that to be level. more frequent, like uh, Dustin Rhodes. Sure. Yes. Yeah, because when I witnessing that in person, by yes. the way, <laughs> that reminded me a lot of the Eddie Guerrero, where it was just like it's just a nonstop. It was so much blood. Yeah. Uh, so according to the Observer, he needed fifty stitches. Uh, in his forehead to put it together. That sounds like a lot of stitches. The show is held up for a half an hour to clean up all the blood <laughs> while Kulas' dad yelled about suing uh, ECW. Like, during the match, you can actually uh, hear, there's, there's like, video footage, his dad yelling, he's only 17, stop the match. So, uh, <laughs> things did not go according to anyone's plan. Uh, for his part, New Jack, a baby face, I will remind you, in ECW, got on the mic while they were cleaning up all the blood and loading this kid this kid into a stretcher and told the crowd, I don't care if the motherfucker dies. He's white. I don't like white people. I don't like people from Boston. I'm the wrong uh, N-word to fuck with. Hmm. So that is your, that is your baby face. As, as there was... Maybe not concerned this kid was going to die, but he was certainly very seriously hurt. Of course, uh, New Jack doesn't know that he's 17. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know that the kid has lied about his training and all that. He just thought, this guy asked to be on the show. He wanted me to cut him. I cut him. Yeah. What are you mad at me about? I'm, I'm just, uh, with the wonders of the internet, I'm just uh, taking a watch at this right now. And <laughs> that is... That is a lot of blood. You're you're correct about that. Yeah, so I'm going to drop in some audio just because I think it's interesting to hear some stuff from the time. So it's a local news report where we'll hear um, Kulas talking a little bit about it, and it is filmed a few months afterward. It's basically filmed in the lead-up to his lawsuit against Heyman and ECW. Uh, so keep that in mind because now he, they're framing the story in a way where he is made to look like the victim because they want money. Uh, so we're not going to talk about the lawsuit because we will chronologically get there in a few months. It happens mainly uh, next year in 1997. Oh, sure. Um, but I think this news story still provides you with a little bit of background and some good audio about it. Like many of these kids, Eric Kulis practiced wrestling moves he saw on TV and dreamed of making it to the big time. What were your dreams? What did you think wrestling could lead to? You know, making it to WWF, the WCW, you know, being famous. Being rich? It's a big part of it. Amazingly, at just 17 years of age, Eric got his chance. He says promoters for Extreme Championship Wrestling, the third largest professional organization, were going to feature him in a comedy match. Instead, to Eric's surprise, New Jack, the most vicious wrestler in the ECW, climbed into the ring and beat him senseless. New Jack broke crutches over Eric's back, smashed a toaster on his head and then cut his head open with a knife. Did you think at some point these guys are going to let up and this is all part of the show? I I thought they were going to let up. I I didn't know. After I got hit with that toaster, you know, I didn't see him until I got picked up by my hair and stabbed in the face ten times. You can hear Eric's father on tape yelling for the match to stop. The match went on, and with Eric flat on his back, severely bleeding, New Jack jumps off a top rope and smashes a chair in his head, knocking him out, and then gloats about the injuries he's just caused. New Jack's real name is Jerome Young. Inside Edition has learned he's a convicted felon with a long criminal record. He is currently wanted in Tennessee for misdemeanor assault charges, yet he continues to wrestle around the country and on television. Eric received 50 stitches for his injuries and says he never wants to get in the ring again. 
Mm-hmm. And also, I have an interesting clip from New Jack uh, that I would like everyone to hear from a shoot interview where he gives his uh, candid, let's say, thoughts about this incident. You mentioned mass transit earlier on in the session. No, I didn't. You did. You actually did. But anyway, uh, if he was still alive and you guys were in an empty room and he wanted to talk to you, what would you say to him? I would have told him the same thing that I told him that night. This is not a good idea. Rob, I said it then and I'll say it again. I never stabbed mass transit. Mass transit told me to cut him. And I cut him. To the fans that keep, you stabbed mass transit, fuck you. No, I didn't. You can't accuse a motherfucker for rape if the bitch invited him to the pussy. His forehead was the pussy. He told me to fuck it. I fucked it. So there you go. And did I come? Yes. When that blood was skeeting out his head, that was my nut, fuckers. Do you think that's going to be something that you're always going to be known for over your wrestling? In the I want it to be. I don't give a fuck about that rod. He told me to do it. How do I get put on the goddamn witness stand defending my life going to prison for five years over a motherfucker that said, cut me again? He said, cut me for the record. I cut him because he asked me to. Roddy Piper's deal appears to uh, be to work for four or five wrestling matches per year and make about 15 interview appearances throughout the year. Uh, on Nitro to set up those, you know, mostly pay-per-view matches. The prime focus of the contract is that Turner will be developing a syndicated television deal built around Piper as a bounty hunter or a policeman, some kind, you know, that... Or fucking whatever. Exactly. <laughs> I'm sure he's going to be a loose cannon is going to be in there somewhere. They're just like, <laughs> let's make it sort of like Thunder in Paradise, <laughs> but not exactly like it. But also, we don't really care. As yeah. long as his face shows up on commercials... It doesn't matter what the show is about. Yeah, it's interesting. I was listening today. Um, I was taking the dog for a really long walk, and I noticed that there was an episode. I don't usually listen to 83 Weeks because I think Bischoff is mostly full of shit. Um, right, yeah. I think he... I don't think he, like... It's not even that I think he changes the truth to make himself look better. I think he doesn't remember, and so he just says whatever he thinks will sound okay and, like, believable. He always tries to keep it, like, somewhat plausible. I, I feel like he does both. Sure. Um, and also, anytime I he- I, I read like, uh, or here's an excerpt, or here's what Bischoff said about it. Right. It's like s- he- it's such a non-answer. Yes. He'll give such non-answers or things that sound like, oh yeah, I mean that sounds like good if you're saying now that you thought that then. Right. That sort of thing where it's just like I just I agree. Like from anything I've heard and just knowing Bischoff's interviews and stuff like that, there's just nothing to gain from it. Sure. Um, there's like little nuggets if you're willing to listen to two hours to be like, oh, that mm. is interesting. And um, is so it he, is it is it better or worse than listening to Kevin Sullivan? Uh, it's certainly much better produced. I think Conrad okay. Thompson has a much higher level of just like um, care about the audio than um, Mr. St. Laurent, who is a wrestling like periphery figure who I believe works for MLW now. Okay. Uh, but he was the guy who was recording doing the, the Sullivan one. But anyway, uh, the, the point of my story was Bischoff has an episode just talking about Roddy Piper in WCW. Okay. I think it might have been something they recorded after Piper died. They were like, let's do a Piper episode now. Uh, and one thing, so so that exact thing that I just read from The Observer is something that Conrad Thompson says to Eric Bischoff and asks about. And Bischoff makes an interesting point in that um, he says, you know, a longtime problem with wrestling and this is this is true. This is not Bishop bullshitting. Is that the audience comes for wrestling and they leave when wrestling's done? They don't watch what's on your network before the wrestling starts, and they mm-hmm. don't stick around and watch what's on your network after the wrestling ends. So, especially in the case of um, WCW, where the network owned the company, it was the same. You know, it's all Turner. They really were struggling. They always wanted to find adjacent programming that made sense. Yeah, that would keep eyes, and so. Uh, he was like, yeah, it would make perfect sense for us to develop a syndicated Roddy Piper show because maybe people would stick around and watch it. Mm -hmm. Now, ultimately, I don't even think the show ever gets made, and similar attempts with things like Thunder in Paradise never panned out. Mm -hmm. But it does make sense that they would keep trying and be like, okay, you guys like wrestling. You don't seem to like anything else we have. 
what if the other things we did had wrestlers in it? Right. It, it makes sense to try that, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, in other news over in WWF, there is, according to Dave Meltzer, a better than 50-50 chance that Charles Wright, uh, a.k.a. Papa Shango and Kama Mustafa, mm-hmm. he believes that he will probably return to the WWF. Uh, we talked back when Vincent debuted about how that was going to be Charles Wright's spot. Oh, yeah. So he, you know, he was a free agent. He had worked it out with WCW or thought he had worked it out. And then he's home watching TV one day and there's fucking Virgil in the spot that he thought was his. So he is. Yeah, it would make sense for him now to go back to WWF. That's really kind of the only thing that makes sense. That would that would have been a lot more interesting because, I mean, I think I think that he's a little bit more intimidating than Virgil is. Sure. And it seems like um, I mean, to this point, anyway, we have not seen Virgil work a match, so right. it doesn't, I believe that he does eventually, and I, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm almost I'm almost positive that he does, uh, but to this point, like, it just seems like they signed him just for the the role that he had more as, as Virgil, of just standing next to Ted DiBiase, right. and kind of like cracking his knuckles, you know? I mean, I would assume that Wright would have done something a little bit different, other I would than, think that he'd get in the ring, you know? Well, I mean, hopefully they wouldn't just make him, like, the bodyguard of right. Ted DiBiase, which the optics of that would just look really terrible, where it's like, he just owns black people pretty yeah, much. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at least with Virgil, it's like an established relationship. Right. <laughs> we're used but, to it by now. But, like, because DiBiase's not wrestling. They were hoping he was in a wrestle, but he's right. not. But it would have been nice if, like, you, like at least the guy with For the him, record, uh, just to clarify, I don't think they were ever expecting him to wrestle. They were expecting him to announce. And okay. he, has, he sort of tried that once, and then they kind of pumped the brakes on it. Okay. I For some reason, I thought he was supposed to wrestle at some point or another. But, I don't think so, no. Um, but it, w- it would at least been nice if, like, the guy with him, like, or if he had, like, someone, like, if... Like, Virgil was able to wrestle yeah. in, in, like, his stead. Or, or yeah, I guess, like, his point, like, having him is pointless when, like, half the wrestlers in the NWO are bigger and stronger than yeah. him. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Or it's like, why is he around when he has the giant? Yeah, why, yeah, why does Kevin Nash need Virgil looking out for him? <laughs> right. Uh, speaking of Killer Kowalski, who did not train Mass Transit, uh, he is promoting shows, uh, including one on November 23rd in North Adams, Connecticut, where his women's champ, Joni Lee, who uh, will s- shortly become very, very famous uh, okay. yeah, as yeah. China, of yeah. course, she defended her uh, title against someone named, uh, under the gimmick name Raindrop, who was the male wrestler Snooky Fink, who was under a mask with a blonde wig and was convincing enough that many of the fans thought that it was actually a woman. Oh. I wonder Good if being up next to China <laughs> right. would sort of help the appearance of a like large boned male right. appearing like a woman. Yeah, <laughs> I just thought that was a funny note for the observer. I guess to be honest, I've never really looked into her, her like China's history before WWF. Yeah, I, I didn't know she was trained by Killer Kowalski. Yet. I wonder if because I know he trained Triple H. Mm-hmm. I wonder if either they met through that or if they met elsewhere and Triple H set her up with Killer Kowalski. Right. I, I just was under the assumption that she came into WWF with, like, no training. Oh, much. sure. Yeah, yeah. Which, at the time, would have been, like, kind of common, you know. Yeah. Or, yeah, or even nowadays is kind of a little bit common in some cases, especially with the women. Right. Um. Yeah, but, so I had no idea that she was like, oh, no, she's been in the ring. She's wrestled. Yeah. And she, like, Killer Kowalski. Who, it could also easily be a deal where, let's just, this is a hypothetical, but her and Triple H meet at a gym. They start dating. Right. He introduces her to Vince. Vince says, great, I want to sign you. Get down to Killer Kowalski's wrestling school. Mm-hmm. We'll pay for it. Right. And then you're going to come up, you know, in a, in a six months, nine months. Yeah. Because she was green as hell when she yeah. showed up. There, there's obviously, like, the sequence of events, you can kind of, you're like, okay, yeah. it's one of these two scenarios. <laughs> right. But now I understand, like, how this all came about. Right. It was not just, like, some, like, real happenstance sort of thing right before she debuted. Like, right. there's... There was, like, a setup before it. Sure, so. sure. AAA has convinced its top heel, Piroth Jr., and a few other stars uh, that Conan was after to instead stay with AAA, in part because of his new working relationship, his being Antonio Pena, mm-hmm. his new working relationship with the WWF. AAA's magazine Super Luchas reported that Piroth Jr. and Fuera Guerrera are going to be in the Royal Rumble this year. Uh, Pena met with Vince McMahon last week. We talked about how he was going to meet with Vince McMahon. Well, that meeting didn't, uh, fact happen. 
and it seems like they're moving forward. They do indeed appear in the Royal Rumble. That does happen. Yes, they do. Um, and so, uh, yeah, that that relationship is taking place, and that is something that Pena has succeeded in using to keep some of his stars from going over to promo Azteca. Yeah, because I, I distinctly remember that because that was the second ever pay-per-view that we ordered at my house. Oh, sure. was the Royal Rumble 97. Yeah. And I remember, even at the as a kid, being like, it looks really dumb that the that the international wrestlers like don't realize they shouldn't jump over the top rope because at <laughs> yes, least at right. least one of them gets eliminated yeah. that way, and the announcers are like, they, "Why didn't he know that?" It just makes him look really bad. Yeah, you know, it's it. I know it's like just like the single appearance, and and really, it seems kind of like bizarre at the time. Right. I mean, even though they're like they're in San Antonio so it's closer to Mexico than sometimes we are it's such a WCW thing for the WWF to be doing right to bring in guys from another promotion and be like hey they're from this other promotion that's very famous isn't it exciting that they're here WCW or WWF almost never does that the mm-hmm. the ECW stuff that they've done earlier this year is like really the only other time and then they'll do it again in the attitude era with that very weird um NWA stuff that they would do with Cornette oh yeah 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 that that that's, <laughs> it's like if you like ECW, <laughs> just wait until you see the Rock and Roll Express against uh, in 1998. Um, bombastic Bart and yes. Bodacious Bob, the or new Moda- uh, the new Midnight Express. Midnight Express thank yeah, you. yeah. <laughs> uh, in other AAA talent news, Ultimo Dragon is done with them, um, partly because he wants to continue the relationship with WCW. He is. That he's, is a solid choice. Yes, it definitely makes sense from his position to go with Conan and stick with the WCW connection. Mm-hmm. Speaking of the Royal Rumble, the WWF held a press conference on November 20th to announce that the 1997 Royal Rumble will be held at the 72,000-seat Alamo Dome in San, Ant- in San Antonio, Texas. This would make it the biggest WWF show since WrestleMania 8 at the Hoosier Dome. Uh, so that is, you know, mm. that's, that's big time. The press conference included uh, Shawn Michaels, Brett the Hitman Hart, the aforementioned AAA star Piroth Jr. The WWF champion, Psycho Sid, was not at the event uh, as he claimed that he'd overslept. <laughs> I love Sid. I, I kind of do, too. Just the fact that he fucks off to play softball like once a year for a few months at a time is amazing to me. Oh, it just it, like everything he does is so like quintessential Sid, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, it just... He's just such a character. Yes. I would uh he's a guy who's on my wish list for Starcast. Like oh, I've got yeah. a few guys that I haven't met yet. I'm, I'm like I've met so many now that there's been two Starcasts mm. that I'm running out of like guys that like god I really want to meet them. Yeah. I'd say like Goldberg, Flair and Sid are three of my top top guys that I would love to meet. Yeah, mine's definitely um yeah, Goldberg and Ric Flair. Uh, Bob Holly, as I mentioned before, <laughs> yeah, um, and maybe a couple other like like if I happen to be able to like meet Dilo Brown, for example, but sure. he's not someone that I like would worry about scheduling yeah. or something like that. But yeah, <laughs> oh, last couple of years we definitely met like a fuck ton of guys. It's crazy. It's absolutely crazy. If meet, you uh, meet have, Glacier again, <laughs> yeah, I thought about getting another meet and greet. Uh, I I. You know, I get these specific prints signed, so there's no reason for me to meet with him again. I've already had him sign one of those. He was just so nice. I just wanted to, like, meet Glacier another time and talk to him. Right. Slip him a business card to get him to come on the show. I feel like he's... I've never asked him, but I feel like he might be an achievable interview. Mm-hmm. Like, if I play my cards exactly right on, like, Twitter and I'm very polite, maybe I could interview Glacier. And I th- I think we missed the chance on Norton. Yeah, I really should have asked Scott Norton. Yeah. Uh, I had a very nice chat with him in the elevator the morning that I left, uh, where it was just me and him just talking. Talked a lot about surgeries that he's got planned upcoming. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mentioned, you know, that uh, I had bought his book yesterday, and then he kind of remembered the conversation that we'd had the day before. Yeah. And that really would have been the time to be like, hey, uh, you know, I do happen to have a podcast, but whatever. I, I It felt weird asking him while he was like, you know, talking about the physical pain he was in. And on his way to get his morning coffee. But it, it felt weird to be like, do me a solid. <laughs> but it would have been an elevator pitch, though. That's true. <laughs> Antonio Pena was also a presence at the press conference, and uh, it got a lot of coverage in Mexico. 
Now, an important aspect to consider in his relationship with the WWF is that he is pretty sure, and he has told Vince McMahon as much, that he believes that, legally speaking, the promo Azteca guys are under contract to him. Uh, and oh, that, sure. You know, there was some disagreement because the company had um, shut down and reformed, and Conan believes that that means that none of the contracts are valid, and Pena believes that it, yeah, that's not the case. I don't know enough about Mexican law to <laughs> weigh in on that either way. Hell, I don't know enough about U.S. law to say how that would work here. Right. And, well, I mean, it, it does sound like that they're both interpreting it to their advantage. Too, sure, absolutely. So. Um, so, But Vince, I think, is is probably, I don't think necessarily he believes Pena, but it would be very nice for him if all of a sudden he was doing business with Pena and Pena had the ability to sue these guys, mm-hmm. put them back under his control, and say you can't go on WCW anymore. Uh, if that happened to pan out, I would sure that Vince McMahon would be very happy about it. Right. Oh, so and and I just referred to this. Um, I'm not, uh, but it's a, a clarification that's probably important to get into. So I mentioned last time uh, we talked about how Conan had said that the contracts weren't valid because AAA changed names, like the corporate structure that owns AAA changed names. Mm-hmm. And we were like, that's kind of silly to say that just because they changed names, the contracts aren't valid. Mm-hmm. What actually happened is that Pena closed the corporation uh, known as AAA and started a new one called PAP. I don't know what that stands for. PAP? I know how to pronounce it. I just don't know what the letters stand for. Prick. Prick asshole prick. That's what it says. Um, so I don't... The kids will love it. <laughs> So it's it's not that he just changed the name; it's that he mm-hmm. legally did close the corporation right. that ran AAA and opened a new one. So it could be perfectly valid to say, "Hey, these contracts expired when that old corporation stopped existing." So it's not uh, like last time we kind of laughed at Conan, mm-hmm. and I'm just pointing it out to say this week that it, the situation is more complicated than right. my previous description had yeah. given it. No, I, I mean, I agree that's more complicated, and I also agree, like, I have no idea if that changes anything. Yeah. I don't know if contracts are, like, if it gets reorganized, they're still valid. Yeah. I mean, that's still, I mean, it does sound, you. I yeah, I agree. It sounds a lot more, it's not an easy answer as far as what we thought last time. Now, allegedly, this gets Eric Bischoff shaken up a little bit. Um, he's just, you know, there's a lot going on with AAA and with the WWF now. And just to make sure he's got his ducks in a row, allegedly he offers the Mexican guys working with WCW contracts instead of keeping them on per match deals. Okay. Uh, Psychosis, Conan, and Ray already had contracts. Yeah. But Ciclope, Juventud Guerrera, Galaxy, who we haven't even seen, um, Viano 4, who's going to make his debut tomorrow night Mm -hmm. uh, on Nitro. So there's there's some other guys that, that are... Well, and that's especially good for Juventud because he's he's done a lot for them as far as like being on Nitro and stuff like that, putting his body on the line. Put La Parka in the short time that he's been around, right, has put his body on the line. Yeah. Staying with the subject of Mexican wrestling, in one of the most shocking wrestling angles of the entire year, El Hijo del Santo turned heel on Friday, November twenty second, on the CMLL weekly show at Arena Mexico. Uh, El Hijo del Santo is the son of El Santo. If you couldn't figure it out, El Hijo means the son of. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and he's one of the, uh, El Santo is one of the most popular wrestlers ever to live, uh, just period, in mm-hmm. any country. Forget, he just was insanely over. He was a, he was a just national icon in Mexico. Yep. Uh, he worked his entire career as a babyface, or technico as they say there. El Hijo del Santo was the exact same. He was a career babyface, uh, but then he turned heel Looks like it is building towards a huge Negro Casas versus El Hijo del Santo match that'll be next month, uh, as December is usually when CMLL has their uh, two biggest shows of the year. So it seems like they turned him heel as a way to build to this mega match next month. you got to think that they were at least inspired by Hogan's willingness to turn heel. Interesting. I hadn't thought about that, but that's Would certainly very possible. Probably open up the door for like, hey, look, if he can turn heel, the possibilities are endless for someone like... yeah. Uh, El Hijo Hijo del Santo. There you go. That guy. Yeah. Uh, Now, El Hijo del Santo and Negro Casas end up not having that match next month in December, Mm. but they do have a huge feud that lasts all the way into September of 97. Okay. So we don't don't touch on a ton of Mexico stuff, so who knows Mm. if we'll talk about that particular feud in the future or not. But certainly him having 
uh, turning heel, if you were a worldwide wrestling fan, that is maybe one of the biggest things to happen in 1996, uh, up there with Hogan turning heel, certainly. Right. Yeah. Uh, there, the January the 4th card, uh, what we now call Wrestle Kingdom, but was then just called like the January 4th Tokyo Dome show or whatever. Yep. Uh, New Japan is really starting to get the card out there. And it is uh, a lot of New Japan versus Big Japan stuff. Uh, they're doing like, you know, an interpromotional feud. Mm-hmm. Um, and Dave is not really a fan of the card that has been out there. It doesn't seem to be as exciting as, as can be. Uh, one thing that we'll talk about in the future it may even be actually, I think it's just a few bullet points down in my notes. Uh, but we're going to see somebody from WCW who's going to be on that show in kind of an infamous moment. I'll talk about it. Like three bullet, Dave. Don't even sweat it. It's gonna be three bullet points from now. Okay. I can see. I can, you're gonna cry. <laughs> the listeners can't see this. You are about to cry because you don't want to wait. Yeah. Um. By the way, at this point, they were calling it Wrestling World. Oh, okay, sure. Because I remember I was like, I was like, it was kind of a weird. Well, I mean, Wrestle Kingdom is also kind of a weird name. Sure. But it, it's a similar name, but not, not so, uh, kingly. I guess. <laughs> Regal. Regal. There you go. Gene Okerlund is back on the 900 line. Uh, when he joined uh, back, it was at first reported that it was just going to be for the Nitros and the pay-per-views, mm-hmm. uh, and that he was not going to have any hotline duties anymore. <laughs> but apparently when he left the hotline, uh, I don't know what the word would be, not rating, but the revenue, yeah, it dropped like precipitously. Without Gene there promoting it and kind of being the face of it, right. people stopped calling it nearly as much as they used to. So I don't know if they offered him more money or maybe it was a part of his deal all along, mm-hmm. uh, but he is back on the hotline. Yeah. And certainly our next episode, World War Three, uh, he hawks the hotline several times throughout that show. Um, I was just taking a quick look at the, the Russell World 97, yeah. and I'm also not impressed with the card either. <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh, one of the Mexican promotions I, I don't have in my notes, and for, they would, shame on me, but they interviewed Pentagon. On television, uh, his career was thought to be over after suffering a cocaine-induced respiratory failure in the ring. Oh. Uh, Wait, Dave, in, in, he was doing coke in the ring? He was doing coke, and then he got in the ring. Oh. <laughs> it was cocaine-induced, but I don't think it happened, like, while he was midline. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going for the hot tag. Oh, wait. I, I'll be, just about. I'll be right. Oh, just over there. Uh, about a year ago, he was down to, like, uh, about 100 pounds or less, uh, but he has put a lot of that weight back on. Looks a lot better, and is talking about possibly returning to the ring, which seems like pushing your luck if you ask me, but hey, you know what? I'm not Pentagon. And at the risk of sounding dumb, is Pentagon Jr. the actual son of Pentagon? I don't know the answer. Why don't you find that out while I read our next bit? Okay. Uh, This is, although you're going to want to hear this because it does get to what I was talking about earlier, Chris Jericho is going to be starting as a somewhat regular in New Japan beginning in 1997. Okay. Uh, specifically, he's going to be getting beginning January 4th, 1997. Oh, okay. Uh, in a match that uh, does not go as planned and kills all the planned momentum that he was going to have, oh, unfortunately, in New Japan. Bummer. Do you know, uh, we'll get to there in January, but do you know, does Super Liger mean anything to you? Um, well, I just saw its name. So, oh, okay. I mean, it, it reminds me of Jushin Thunder Liger. Sure. Well, we you know we can watch that match on, on New Japan World back when we get to January, and we'll talk about it. We'll, re- we'll talk about Jericho's book, what he has to say about it. We'll get into that in the future. There have been some talks between the WWF and Randy Savage. Apparently, the two sides are very far apart on terms, and uh, Dave Meltzer doesn't believe that the talks are going to go any further than they did because that's how far apart they were. Uh, but the feeling is that Titan is so fearful of raids, they only want guys they can sign for three- to five-year contracts, and uh, they think that Savage could help in the short run because of his name, but his guarantee would be so high that they couldn't pay him for that long. They don't want to sign Randy Savage to a three- to five-year deal, mm-hmm. um, so they're they're willing to let WCW re-sign him rather than having them sign him for a year and then be back in the same position where he can screw them and... and go off to WCW. Yeah. I was just reading a uh, Pentagon Pentagon junior are not related. There's, it looks like there's about like four or five different versions of Pentagon before we get to junior. Oh, sure. Uh, but however, Pentagon, what the gimmick was created as an evil twin, of professional wrestler octagon that I knew. Yeah. There's a few <laughs> shape guys 
in Mexico. I, I just like I like the gimmick of evil twin, who's yeah. also under a mask. So it's yeah. like, trust me, we look exactly alike. Well, it's funny because <laughs> that gets like what I was just talking to with Super Liger. Super Liger is created as an evil twin version of Jushin Liger. <laughs> <laughs> Over in Japan, Koji Katao versus John Tenta in a singles match was added to the WAR Sumo Hall show on December 13th. Uh, the reason why I would note that in a specific match is that years ago, uh, Koji Katao just died, I want to say, within the last like two months. So it kind of came up again recently that they had a singles match uh, a few years before this. I want to say it was 95, mm-hmm. 94, uh, where they really poorly shot on each other. Like, because um, oh. they both had been sumos. Uh, Koji Katao was like a bigger name in sumo mm-hmm. and he had been asked to job to Tenta and he did it once and then they were going to have a rematch and they wanted him to job to him again and he's like why the hell should I job to this guy I was a sumo star he was a yokozuna he was like the youngest guy to ever get yokozuna status yeah he's a really interesting guy if you read about his life um, because he got yokozuna status and then kind of wasn't that good for a long time and it was very controversial why he was a yokozuna and then he had some uh, personal like scandals that were a big deal in Japan, so he ended up leaving sumo and going to wrestling. Okay. Uh, but yeah, they wanted him to job to Tenta. He did it once. They asked him to do it again. He got mad. Tenta realized he was shooting on him, and neither one of them are like, they're too afraid to lose a shoot fight to each other. Uh-huh. So they're just like doing these like shitty kicks and just yelling at each other from across the ring. Mm-hmm. It's super awkward. Uh, Katao gets on the mic afterwards. And says wrestling's fake, and he gets fired from the whatever promotion it was in. I think that's a good way to get fired too. Yeah, so you can find that on YouTube. Just look up uh, Katao and Tenta like shoot on each other, or whatever. Yeah. Um. So you can you can see that moment for yourself. It's it's like <laughs> one of the worst incidences of guys shooting on each other, just in terms of like fight quality. <laughs> it's, it's oh, right. terrible. Yeah. Um. Right. No. Just. If you want to get fired from a wrestling promotion, <laughs> yeah. get down the microphone and saying wrestling's fake to the entire audience. Yeah, especially in Japan where kayfabe's like protected more. Like the audience, they yeah. get it, but they want to pretend more than in America. It's maybe not as important here to, to continue to pretend. Right. They don't want to like be insulted. They're like, yes, it's an illusion, but like let's all enjoy the illusion. Right. <laughs> in Memphis, there was a bit of a scandal because... <gasps> Because you haven't even heard about it yet. You just <laughs> just the fact that there's a scandal got well, that reaction. Let's see from if you. it's in if it's in Memphis. For one thing, it's got to deal with either a Jarrett or Lawler. Well, it involves a Lawler. The good news is it does not involve an underage girl. No. What? Yes, that that's might, the scandal. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they found something else to do. Uh, but Lawler had to admit under oath that wrestling is predetermined and quote as real as Santa or the Easter Bunny. So very real. <laughs> uh, so this was to avoid being classified as a sport that would re- be uh, he'd then be required to register with the state athletic commission. So that's exactly okay. the reason Vince McMahon started admitting that wrestling was fake is mm-hmm. because he didn't want to continue to pay commissions and be regulated oh. by state athletic commissions. First thing I thought was drug testing, but now it's money. It's mainly money. Yeah. Mainly money. I probably a little bit of both at this point. Cause if you're, if you're dealing with a commission, like they have to have a representative at every one of your events. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like often you have to pay a specific uh, like medic or, you know, you, there's just requirements that it's mostly about how much money you have to spend right. on those requirements. Gotcha. Because Lawler is such a big name in Memphis, this unsurprising admission nonetheless got picked up on the local news. Mm-hmm. So then on a USWA show this week, Lawler had to try to explain this to the crowd. <laughs> okay. So he claimed that to avoid an $8,000 fee for a promo- promoter's license, he just had to go to court and say this nonsense that he didn't really believe. Mm-hmm. And then he said regarding the Santa line, quote, I still believe in Santa and the Easter Bunny. <laughs> Yeah, so it was on (laughs) tricks on them. But wait, there's another layer, Dave. Then he brought out two Hooters waitresses dressed up as sexy Santa and sexy Easter Bunny. (laughs) You know, I feel like he could have just... Isn't the best route just ignoring it? I don't... Of course, but it is very funny to be like, well, I do believe in Santa and the Easter Bunny. These sexy women... (laughs) Oh, okay. Sure, I said wrestling's fake, but also boobs. <laughs> Which, 
it's like a six degrees of getting back to the underage girls sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like something about the story has to come back to him liking women that are far younger than he is. Yes, yes. Now we will close this extra large edition of Observe This by clarifying a little bit of the Kurt Henning situation Mm -hmm. that we talked about last week. Uh, So what happened uh, with Henning and the WWF and why he kind of got mad at them was that he was close to finalizing a lump sum settlement with uh, Lloyd's of London, the company that had insured him. Uh, so because of his back problems, he he had claimed that he was unable to wrestle or he was collecting on that insurance policy. Mm-hmm. He was in the process of negotiating a lump sum where they were going to pay him. Uh, either It depends on what sources you listen to, but uh, the two-sided numbers are either 150000 or $300,000. Those are the, like the two most common numbers. Those are still both, both a lot of money. Sure. To get that money, he would have had to sign some paperwork saying that he was permanently disabled and could never wrestle again. Hmm. He was getting ready to do that, but the WWF thought that maybe they could convince him to come back, and he wasn't giving them an absolutely firm answer that he never would. Uh, He did eventually tell them... uh, So they were building, you might remember a while ago, they were building that match between him and Helmsley, where he ends up screwing Miro... Mm-hmm. Um, but they were thinking that it was going to be a match at first. Their intention was to deliver on that match. Yep. Then only a few days before, he told them that he wasn't going to do it, that because of the insurance thing, he was not going to get back in the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, But before he had told them that, their legal team had sent some kind of letter to Lloyds of London that was trying to reach a settlement on his behalf. They were like, we're going to do him a favor. Before he comes back, we're going to get in touch with Lloyds of London and we're going to try to like work out a deal where he can get some money and then he can return to the ring. But Lloyds of London just saw it and went, Oh, he's going back to the ring. Well then we don't have to pay him any money. So they just stopped paying him money and it cost him that full 150 or $300,000. So Henning was very, very mad about that. I can imagine, (laughs) man, I want, I could almost see like that was the reason why he went with WWE. Right. So he did that, and then he no showed his events that we talked about recently. Mm-hmm. He, he no showed all the events over a weekend. Vince McMahon was able to do damage control and get Henning to agree to a five year wrestling contract uh-huh. worth three hundred thousand dollars per year as a downside guarantee. So he would make three hundred thousand dollars per year, uh, and Vince McMahon was like there. The money they were going to pay you, I'm going to pay you that every single year. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, like, does that make you feel better? Or are you not mad at me anymore? Uh, wait, 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 wait. I'm t- just, just thinking about this, especially, like, knowing in depth about the whole, like, Bret Hart negotiation for his contract mm-hmm. in 1996 and realizing that these contracts don't really mean much. <laughs> sure. I mean, he he can make all the promises that he wants of, like, a five-year deal. Right. But unless he gets, like, any of that money up front, like, as, like, a, a signing agreement or anything like that, he should not anticipate seeing any of that money at all. So Vince thinks everything's cool. Henning has given him every indication that everything's cool. Uh-huh. Henning is basically only doing that to fuck with him, though, because he's still <laughs> yes. so angry. Yes, I love this story so far. So Kurt does not sign the deal and instead signs a contract with WCW, which, uh, according to Meltzer, was for more money anyway. So he's sure he's also getting paid more yeah. besides just getting the chance to fuck with Vince. I mean, although if it, um, man, if he was offered three hundred thousand, yeah. in theory he got more from WCW. Yeah. That is a substantial deal at that time. It also depends, I guess, how many years. Like, they might have offered him more money per year, but it was, instead of five years, it was two years. You know what I mean? Right. But, but I mean, yeah, it's still, he was making a shit ton of money from WCW. Right. And I think that, like, two years from WCW is a better guarantee of getting that money yeah. than five years from WWF. And it's so many less dates, which, for a guy who does have legitimate injury right. problems, is a huge. Yeah, he's not, he was a grifting Lloyds of London right. you know he was it was legitimately well, injured it, it was legitimate and at a certain point it was grifting right he could have come back and he was choosing the premise yeah. initially <laughs> he meant well there's a reason Lloyds got out of the insurance game and it was basically this Rick Rude and Road Warrior animal <laughs> it was those fucking wrestlers <laughs> or do, do, wait are they you mean they're out of like insurance and in no, 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 they still do insurance, but they stopped insuring wrestlers. Okay, because right. uh, like I think there were only a few that they did, and every time they got 
completely burned on it right. by guys just lying to them right. and then returning to the ring. Uh, so he told WWF that he was coming back. He secretly signs a deal with WCW, and then he once again fails to call and let them know that he's not going to show up. <laughs> and so he no-shows uh, the 1996 Hall of Fame, uh, which is a dinner that they held before Survivor Series back in those days. Mm-hmm. He uh, no-shows an autograph signing that they had scheduled for him, and he no-shows showing up to do uh, the voiceover announcing for superstars. So he manages, he no-shows a weekend, agrees to a contract, doesn't sign the contract, signs with their rival, and then no-shows again. <laughs> it, I feel like, because uh, wasn't that with Jim Ross for the superstars? Uh, I believe or Kevin by Kelly? 96, it would be, yeah, probably one of those two. I just imagine that they were like, uh, Kurt, and they turn around, his chair's like spinning <laughs> still. Uh, to wrap up the Henning stuff, his contract is believed to be up in May, so he cannot show up in WCW before then, but he has agreed on principle with a deal with them. Oh, okay. So in, in theory, this is not going to be over for a few months then. Correct. Because he's yes. agreed in principle, which means Vince could still try to come around and convince him out of it. Right. Yes. Although the impression I get is that Kurt Henning is not interested. (laughs) (laughs) And who knows? Vince might be so pissed at him right now that he's not very interested back. Right. Because they won't bring him back until, what, 2002 when he shows up in the uh, Royal Rumble? Is that 02? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He won't be in the WWF until then. Which is weird because at the time it seemed like he was coming back after a long time way away but that's only like six years yeah that's true nowadays there's guys that are showing up after like 10 15 years that sort of yeah. thing like goldberg came back after like 10 years i think the reason it seemed like such a big deal is how much the wwf had changed in those six years yes like that's true. the wwf from the product from even like 98 to 2000 shifts so much in yeah. just the way that it's presented and, I mean, uh, I mean, ninety six to ninety seven alone right. is dramatic. Right. Like every year for like five years, it dramatically changes. Yeah. So no, I agree. Like it's it's an entirely new company by like two thousand two. All right. So let's talk about our syndication results over the weekend. Ooh. Uh, the Saturday night, November twenty third, nineteen ninety six episode. Uh, so first, you got the Faces of Fear who defeat Galaxy and Cyclope. Okay. Kevin Sullivan then defeats Scotty Riggs, of course, uh, thanks to issues with Bagwell. So they argue a little bit more. Even in syndication, they can't get it right. Chris Benoit and Woman give a promo. Uh, Sullivan says that, uh, or Chris, excuse me, Chris Benoit and Woman have a promo. Benoit says that tomorrow he's going to face Kevin Sullivan in Baltimore at that big house show we've been talking about. And that if things go according to uh, Benoit's plans, Sullivan won't even make it to World War III. He said that Sullivan isn't a fraction of the man that he used to be because, well, he's been at home sipping margaritas in his $250,000 luxury pad. Hmm. Benoit has been on the road in hotel rooms with women perfecting his craft, if you know what he means. I I hope he used quote fingers. (laughs) (laughs) When Sullivan has been on Learjet's politicking and pushing his pencil, Benoit has been laying people out. Hmm. Chris Jericho defeated Craig Pittman. Uh, that was supposed to be a warm-up for his match with Nick Patrick. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, That's uh, a sentence. Oh, well, the deal is, I think it was like a, supposed to be an amateur wrestling exhibition or something. It was, it was, it was like a weird deal. I, it's been a few weeks since I watched it. Oh, um, so the idea is like, hey, look, he's so good at wrestling. Right. Imagine he'll still be great with one arm tied behind And the idea is that Teddy Long manages both guys. So it's like a friendly thing they're doing. It's not like a full-on fight. Oh. But then Pittman gets like, basically Pittman kind of turns heel during it, and he won't stop, and Teddy Long's like making him, trying to get him to stop. Mm -hmm. So the idea is like, at at the very least, Pittman is broken up with Teddy Long, and seems like he's, yeah. (laughs) I know. Pittman is such a boring character. And, and I mean, this is all going like, the opposite of what Chris Jericho wants for his career. Right. Yes, exactly. What's happened since he's kind of been forced, had Teddy Long forced upon him as a manager of sorts. Yeah. He now wrestles a referee. He wrestles a referee and he gets put in a code red and made to look like a wuss on Saturday night to Sergeant Craig Pittman. Or <laughs> at, at least Disco Inferno had the, uh, the smarts to tap out right away. So he could still do his disco moves afterwards. <laughs> Arn Anderson, uh, defeated bunkhouse buck. 
who is just kind of back in town for a World War Three payday, and then he's going to disappear again. Hmm. I think maybe that's an intro. I wonder if that's an. It seems like an intriguing matchup. The Amazing French Canadians defeat Mark Starr and Casey Thompson. That is not an intriguing matchup. Jeff Jarrett defeated Mean Mike Penis. Oh, God. The NWO Saturday Night segment saw Hall and Nash defeat Pez Watley and Buck Besner. And in a somewhat surprising result, if you ask me, uh, in the main events of Saturday Night, the television champ, William Regal, Stephen Regal, pardon me, Uh defeated the cruiserweight champ, Dean Malenko. That just seems like a really strange booking decision to me. I like Regal. I just, I wouldn't book that match. You know, it's like, which I don't want either guys to lose that match. So why am I doing the match? I get to control who fights who. <laughs> That's how wrestling works. <laughs> Wait a bit. I'm booking the show. What? <laughs> <laughs> I, I, yeah. I mean, I was saying that uh, the Bunkhouse Buck versus Arn Anderson's intriguing. William Regal versus Dean Malenko is far more intriguing. Sure. Um, and I believe that was for the television championship, so that's also, it was kind of, you know, where it's like, it's not really, it's pretty telegraphed who's going to win. Sure. But um, that would also be really interesting to watch too, especially since, uh, just thinking about like Malenko against like heavyweight wrestlers is just interesting because he is like, he kind of requires on his like strength yeah. for a lot of his like his moves, but then he's, if he's against someone that's like a lot bigger than him, it's just like a really interesting matchup. All right. Well, that is going to bring us to something that we do on worldwide. It's where we step out of our time machine. We briefly return to the present. Mm-hmm. We look around, we take a look at the current state of wrestling and we each name one thing about current wrestling that excited us or that we are excited for. Uh-huh. Uh, in the present day. So, Dave, what is something about wrestling right now in June of 2019 that has you excited? Uh, well, I mean, since we last recorded, we went to all the wrestling double or nothing. Yep. That was pretty incredible. Um, I, I mean, I, I I know we've discussed this at length at times, but I, I remain very optimistic as far as the like the long-term like uh, op- chances for AEW. Um I'm not. I was see. I was excited for Jericho f- after that match he had with Kenny Omega. Yeah. But then this morning I watched his match with Okada, which actually happened like this morning for us. Yeah, I haven't. And, I haven't watched any of Dominion yet. For Dominion and it, Chris Jericho really should not be wrestling 25 minute matches. Yeah. Especially with people that are younger and have a far better stamina than he does. <laughs> sure. Um. So I, I kind of hope that maybe they learn to cut down his in-ring time because it's just, it, that's a bit too long. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I just in general would think that, that all the wrestling is something I'm just uh, like optimistic about. Um, I know that we are tr- we're planning to go to All Out, which is in Chicago. And the fact that they announced that they're going to do the first championship match there, which yes. I, was, I was really hoping for because I'm just like, I'm big on championships and the idea of being there for the first like title match ever to declare the first champion ever. Yeah. It's very, it's that's pretty awesome. So I would say that right now that's kind of what I'm most excited about for in wrestling. All right. Yeah. I'm definitely also excited for uh, all elite. I'm excited to find out uh Tuesday or Wednesday, someday this week, the tickets go on sale for doubler or not. Double, excuse me for all out. Yeah, that's on. It's not until Saturday. Actually. Oh, Saturday. Okay, yeah. so we're gonna, you know, hopefully we get tickets to that. I'm gonna go either way because uh, I love the Starcast, and we've got some business in Chicago with uh, bringing my son to Medieval Times because we uh, we were supposed to do that back in spring break, but mm-hmm. then my family got sick. We came back a day early, so we owe him a trip to Chicago. Uh, so I'm gonna definitely be there for Starcast. Mm-hmm. Um, hopefully, we'll be seeing all out as well. But the thing that I'm gonna say that I'm excited about this week. Um, I'd say I'm sort of a casual New Japan fan. Yeah, uh, I don't currently have New Japan World because back WrestleMania weekend, I bought some iPay-per-views and I signed up for the High Spots Wrestling Network. And at the time, I wasn't using my New Japan World subscription that much. So I was like, I need something to... If I'm signing up for these new things, I need to justify the money. So I canceled my New Japan World. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, in general, just I, I like it. I wish them well. I, I wish that I had more time in the day to just watch more of it. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a very long way around to say the thing that I'm excited for, even if I'm not actively watching right now, is I was excited to see that uh, appearing at Dominion 
was Shibata. Um, yep. And just seeing that he's looking well, he seems sort of... I got the impression from his face in the clips that I saw on Twitter. He just looked kind of sad to be out there and not wrestling because that man just loves wrestling. Yep. Um, but just to see that he's looking well, that he, mm. you know, he, he seemed to be moving around well. I just wish the best for him. And in the same vein, um, and in the same vein, the uh, allegedly, the supposedly imminent return mm-hmm. to the ring of Hiromu Takahashi. Yes. Um, so just to see that he is also... Uh, even better than, um, or even more fit than um, Shibata, that he is. He has actually been given the all clear to go back in the ring. Mm-hmm. Uh, I certainly hope that um, <laughs> that they have his best interests in mind. Yep, that he is. He is indeed ready for competition again. Because I mean, that guy, he is just amazing. Really, um, if anything, an undervalued, not undervalued, underappreciated. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, as a, as a, by pro, um, by virtue of being a junior. I think people don't quite appreciate how good that man truly is. Well, it's not only is he a personality, but it's like you can tell it's just like an extension of himself. Yeah, like because I follow. Him he's on, a weird guy. He just I follow. <laughs> I, I follow him on Twitter. Like he, right. he's a very bizarre person, and it seems to work for him very well. He's like just, just a fun wrestler, and and the idea that um. Because at first I thought he was going to come back a little sooner because Dragon Lee was champion, mm. and the idea of having like his re- like return match against the guy that injured him, right? Or maybe he's like, I really don't want to wrestle Dragon Lee anymore, which would be reasonable. But, <laughs> I wouldn't uh, blame him. But uh, maybe I mean, if they if they give him a few more months and hold on until like Russell Kingdom to face yeah. Osprey, that'd be amazing. So the thing uh, that's a very long way of saying that the thing I'm excited for is just the health. Yeah. Of Katsuri, Katsuyori. I'm very bad at pronouncing Japanese names, but Shibata, Shibata yeah. and Takahashi. I'm just excited to see those guys um, in good physical condition. That's that's great. That's just huge news. Yeah. And then another thing that I am excited for because I just had time to think about it. It was the uh, the John Moxley interviews that he did. Uh, I've, I've just the idea of someone that cares so passionately about wrestling. Oh, so you're talking about like his podcast with, um, with uh, Jericho, and I, then the one with Wade Keller. Yeah, because I listened to both of those, which ends up I listened to like almost like four hours of him talking. Sure, yeah. Which um, it's just a guy that you can tell not only is very passionate about wrestling, but he he appreciates the art, right? And and just like um, it's not a matter of him not wanting to work with people, but we're, he wants to be able to be creative with yeah. other wrestlers, and and just like hearing. Like how he, how much he was like unable to do that in wrestling for a long time, right? And, and just you can tell he's a guy that's a lot happier now because he's able to kind of do a little bit more of what he wants to do. And just, I mean, I'm sure people that listen to this podcast have probably listened to at least a little bit of the John Moxley stuff. But the idea of him being so good on the mic, and then once he comes up to WWE, is unable to do any of his mic work right, for himself. Right. Um. It just seems like I just like knowing that the wrestlers are enjoying like what they're doing. Right. Because there's a lot of guys, especially with WWE. Yeah. It seems like there's a lot of guys that, that are either unable to do exactly what they want to do or, or to be just wrestling like, you know, 300, like on the road, 300 plus days of the year. Right. And are just stuck down in, in like unimportant roles. Right. It seems like it'd be very discouraging for a career. Yeah. Um, yeah, I do certainly hope that anyone who is in a position wherever they are that's not happy is able to get somewhere that brings out. You know, I think there are guys that are built to thrive in that environment. Like I, I think, um, like Seth Rollins mm-hmm. is is probably an equivalent where he was maybe maybe pushed a little bit harder than Ambrose, but pretty similarly. Mm-hmm. Uh, but but just he seems like he's very content with where he's yeah. at and what he's doing. And I, those guys should absolutely stay there. Anyone else, uh, you know, if they're truly independent contractors, they should be allowed to go somewhere. Right. Um, and you and I, like we were just talking about a, 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 AEW, it doesn't have to be that. I'm not somebody who's like everybody that's right. sad in WWE needs to go to AEW. Because for one thing, I don't want AEW to be the cast off promotion. We've we've right. seen that a number of times and how that goes. Mm-hmm. Um but just wherever they want to go and whatever it is that's going to bring them joy and the ability to be creative. Uh I just I want that for everybody. Yeah. And another per- and one person that John Moxie specifically mentions as a guy that's like he's in this company because he will do whatever they want him to do and is our truth. 
Sure, that's a and, perfect example. And and that's another person. Another thing that I've been excited about this week is because the twenty four seven championship in WWE like is awful in concept, but he's been like his parts that he's been doing are, yeah. have been awesome. I agree. He's he's certainly made it. Um, it's he's been, he's made it more enjoyable than it has any right to be. That's a perfect way because to say it was such it's a, such a throwaway, a lazy, lazy idea to have. Yeah. But they gave it to the one person that's like, I will do whatever is necessary to make this get this over, and and it's just like the stuff they do. I mean, like what happens actually on TV is not very interesting, but like the clips and things they're able to do just for like their their YouTube channel have been pretty fun. All right, well, I absolutely agree with that, and we're gonna end on that note for this week of our world, of our worldwide edition. Uh, programming note our next episode is not going to be the next nitro the 11 uh, 18 nitro i guess it would be right i'm, I'm lost on what day it is 25 the november what? 25th nitro yes. yeah. our next episode is not going to be a nitro it will not be the november 25th nitro as we are going to do an episode covering uh, world war three which is held on november 24th uh we are going to kind of do a hybrid where we might our play-by-play might be a little shorter than our normal full pay-per-view coverages just because it's not as notable as some of the other pay-per-views around this time that we've covered uh and then the main event is such a goddamn mess that would be so impossible to recap in the way that we normally do we're actually going to record a live commentary recap of that it's gonna be our first ever so that should be fun uh so that's gonna be your next episode and then right after that we'll be back to a week following with the next episode of monday nitro and the uh that's gonna start our build towards starcade so that's exciting yeah in in <laughs> in theory it for starcade because it's supposed to be like their their quote-unquote their wrestlemania right um i don't it's it's kind of like give and take as far as like uh when they've promoted it like that and when they yeah. have not promoted it like that. I think we're kind of in a period right now where they've just treated it like another show. Yeah, Bischoff has been on the record about saying that he saw Halloween Havoc as their big show of the year. Yeah. And not Starcade. Um, but certainly we know that they're heading towards Piper Hogan at Starcade, so that's huge. Right, yes. Um, so th- that definitely might be an impetus to treat it as a big show. Uh, and we will find out uh, all that when we get back to Nitro, but before any of that, We've got to find out who is going to be the next contender to Hollywood Hulk Hogan's WCW title. And we're going to find out all that when we watch World War III right here where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro.